That is the sound you never want to hear. It is the sound of a warning siren going off at a nuclear power plant. But whether you can hear that sound or not, we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly podcast keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, and I'm also a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from one mile away. So I know what it looks like when the experts get it wrong. This week, we talk with Dr. Catherine Mueller about her arrest with five others for protesting at the Los Alamos Nuclear Laboratory and blockading the entranceway on August 6th, Hiroshima Day. What's in store for the Lanel 6 now that they've been found guilty? And why did they choose to take this action? That interview with fascinating information on the effects of low-level radiation on all of us will be coming up in just a few minutes. Today is Tuesday, February 5th, 2013, and here is the week's nuclear news. Tons of it. I'll talk fast and link to the rest. We're starting out with a huge win for our side. The Charlotte, North Carolina-based Duke Energy said just today that it will permanently close its Crystal River nuclear power plant north of Tampa. This starts a process that may take 60 years before the site is decontaminated and dismantled, but at least it's started. According to a statement released by Duke Energy Chairman and Chief Executive Jim Rogers, quote, We believe the decision to retire the nuclear plant is in the best overall interests of our customers, investors, the state of Florida, and our company. What, you couldn't figure it out before now? With Kiwani being decommissioned in Wisconsin, now Crystal River in Florida, that means two nuclear power plants down, 102 to go. This is a huge story, and we will link to a background article to fill in all the pieces for you at our website, nuclearhotseat.com. Go to the blog page. The Department of Defense has decided to abandon an unprecedented medical registry of nearly 70,000 American service members, civilian workers, and their families caught in the radioactive clouds blowing from the destroyed nuclear power plants at Fukushima Daiichi in Japan. The decision to cease updating the registry means there will be no way to determine if patterns of health problems emerge among the members of the Marines, Army, Air Force, Corps of Engineers, and Navy stationed at 63 installations in Japan with their families. It leaves thousands of soldiers and Marines in the USS Ronald Reagan Carrier Strike Group 7 on their own when it comes to determining if any of them are developing problems caused by radiation exposure. Why is the U.S. bailing on this database? Nuclear Hot Seat believes it is because the Department of Defense accidentally compiled baseline statistics that could prove radiation contamination and health impact. The consequences could hurt a lot of people in power. According to Dr. Helen Caldicott, the decision to walk away from the medical implications of exposure to Fukushima radiation of 70,000 American service people and their families, as well as the rest of the world, is like turning off the monitors in Canada and the convenient malfunction of monitors in the U.S. when the first radiation plumes crossed North America. It is burying government heads in radioactive sand. She went on to say, This has been the trick of the atomic age, how to bury the evidence not how to protect people or precious vanishing environmental resources like water. If we do not insist on accountability, this pattern will not end here. Notice that this action only took place after eight Navy members sued TEPCO 
and opened the door to further lawsuits against the Japanese and American governments. In St. Louis, it has been found that there are radioactive secrets beneath the banks and waters of a North St. Louis County Creek that may be linked to a staggering number of cancers, illnesses, and birth defects. In four square miles, there are more than 700 cases that have been found, including three reported cases of conjoined twins and cancer rates that one data expert says is statistically impossible. This research was done by Janelle Wright, and she said the children usually come down with brain cancer in the first 15 years of life and also leukemia. In my peer group's children, there were several who had to have their thyroids removed before they were 10 years old. In the 1940s, the Malincrote Chemical Works in downtown St. Louis purified thousands of tons of uranium to make the first atomic bombs. 21 acres of airport land became a dumping site where a toxic mixture of uranium, thorium, and radium was stored uncovered or in barrels. In the 1960s, government documents noted contents from the rusting barrels were seeping into the nearby Coldwater Creek. And by the 90s, the government confirmed unsafe levels of radioactive material in the water. We'll come back to the U.S., but now taking a look internationally, Britain's radioactive waste disposal process has stalled after conflicting votes between regional and local governments. The borough of Copeland voted to continue exploring its suitability, but Copeland lies within the county of Cumbria, which voted against the idea. It had been previously agreed that the process to find a disposal site for U.K. radioactive waste needed positive approval from both borough and county level. Let's hear it for NIMBY. And speaking of backyards, that would be the entire planet of Earth. What you going to do with the waste, guys? In France... Two doctors and a radiologist have been sentenced to 18 months in prison for their role in radiation overdoses that killed at least 12 people in France and left dozens seriously ill. Overdoses were given to nearly 450 cancer patients in the Jean Monnet Hospital in Epinal in northeast France between 2001 and 2006. As a result of the errors, many of the affected patients suffered sexual dysfunction as well as serious digestive and urinary problems. In his closing remarks, the chief prosecutor delivered a damning indictment of the doctor's, quote, desire to hide the truth from the victims and their attempts to play down, even disguise their mistakes. So when are you going to take that same action against the criminal actions of the nuclear industry? In Paris, there is a call for a national human chain, a good kind of chain reaction, in solidarity with the victims of Fukushima calling for a nuclear phase-out. This will take place in Paris on Saturday, March 9, at 1.30 p.m., as part of the commemoration of the second anniversary of Fukushima. Last year, 60,000 people formed a human chain from Lyon to Avignon to demand the phase-out of nuclear energy. That's over 142 miles of European nuclear protesters in one place. Let's see what they come up with this year. Over to Japan, where that country plummeted to 53rd in the 2013 Press Freedom Ranking released by Reporters Without Borders, a Paris-based nonprofit organization. Gee, I wonder why. They said that Japan, quote, has been affected by a lack of transparency and almost zero respect for access to information on subjects directly or indirectly related to Fukushima. 
The group said in a statement, quote, Japan has been affected by a lack of transparency and almost zero respect for access to information on subjects directly or indirectly related to Fukushima. This sharp fall should sound an alarm. As of February 1st, the radioactive waste from Fukushima is now being burned in Osaka over the resounding protests and petitions of the citizens. Our correspondent Carly Ann said that the incinerated tsunami debris, in addition to radionuclides, contains asbestos and other hazardous elements. All concerns expressed fell on deaf ears. However, there is new evidence that a tax scandal may be brewing beneath the surface. Money talks, and that's the only thing politicians seem to care about. Use any tactic that works. Here's the runner-up to Numbnuts of the Week this week. Highly contaminated Fukushima hills are going to be fully open for cherry blossom viewers. People can come in and breathe not only the scent of the cherry blossoms, but radionuclides deep into their lungs. The cherry blossom trees are located in the Watari district, the most contaminated district in Fukushima City. This is where an earthworm was discovered that produced castings that had 1.37 million becquerels per kilogram of radioactive cesium. It's also where rice was harvested that had radioactive cesium in excess of 1,500 becquerels per kilogram, too hot even for sale in the United States. Here's another numbnutsian story. Got dirt? Nekite Pa, a restaurant in Tokyo, is serving an entire menu devoted to dirt. Potato starch in dirt soup, salad with dirt dressing, aspic with oriental clams and a top layer of sediment, a dirt risotto, and for dessert, dirt ice cream, of course. The chefs at the restaurant use a special soil from the Kanto district of Japan. Mmm, getting hungry yet? To remind you, last April, Iori Mochizuki of Fukushima Diary posted a story that a black substance, a cyanobacteria, was spreading all over the Kanto area. It was a very similar substance that was found in Kashiwa, Chiba, known to be a radioactive hotspot. What a great ingredient for Iron Chef. Back to the U.S. A report by two energy consulting firms says that the U.S. government has not protected U.S. taxpayers well enough against the risks of federal loan guarantees to two new nuclear reactors, the $14 billion Vogel debacle in Georgia. Southern Company is attempting to build these nuclear bad ideas, but as we've previously reported on Nuclear Hot Seat, this is the company that hasn't yet gotten the concrete poured and the rebar right, and we're trusting them with nuclear? Okay, let's follow the money. Now two Massachusetts-based energy consulting firms, EarthTrack and Synapse Energy Economics, say the $8.3 billion in federal loan guarantees backing the project were crafted with excessively favorable financial terms for the recipient companies, weak federal oversight, and possible political interference in the loan guarantee process. We will link to the full article on nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog. Here's another link that's going to be a story by Lucas Hickson of informable.com. It's a great article on NRC's misrepresentation of the San Onofre outrage. <laughs> the San Onofre outage. I'm going to leave that one in. It will be on our website with the other links today. Great article, Lucas. 
Some more good news for our side. A legislative effort to lift Virginia's long-standing ban on uranium mining has failed. Woohoo! This legislation would have effectively ended the 31-year ban, but met with resounding defeat on January 31st, and the bill was pulled because of lack of support. Kudos to the activists who worked on this issue. Fairwind's energy education and the Gundersons were knocked off the web temporarily on February 1st by a cyber attack, a distributed denial-of-service attack on all Fairwind servers. According to Maggie Gunderson, as of today, February 5th, everything's been fixed and even the email is working appropriately. This harkens back to the Gandhi quote. First they ignore you, then they make fun of you, then they attack you, then we win. So we're at level three, and guys, it just means we're going to win. In keeping with our policy of keeping you up to date on the usual nature of quote-unquote unusual occurrences at nuclear reactors in the United States, meaning level one warnings that something has gone wrong in a nuclear plant, on Saturday, January 12, at 9.25 in the morning, a security threat was reported at the Pilgrim Nuclear Power Plant in Massachusetts. Security personnel took action to investigate the threat and implemented appropriate protective actions as required per security procedures. Ninety minutes later, security and applicable law enforcement agency officials determined that the security threat was the result of local duck hunters on a small watercraft near the plant site. Nuclear Hot Seat secured an exclusive interview with an eyewitness to this story who spoke with us under condition of anonymity. Not only is this the official numbnuts of the week, I think we finally found our theme. Why? What better response to nuclear numbnutsery than duck? In the continuing battle against Vermont Yankee nuclear power plant in Vernon, Vermont, more than 50 people paraded through downtown Wells Fountain with signs, banners, noisemakers, and mock coffins containing mock radioactive fuel rods and made their way to Entergy headquarters, where they blocked the main entrance before Brattleboro police arrested them for trespass. The group consisted of more than 60 individuals and 70 organizations from Vermont, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, and New York. Hattie Nessel of Athol, Massachusetts, one of six women convicted in November for the August gate blocking, exhorted the exuberant crowd to join the ongoing civil resistance to the nuclear power plant. In response, more than $3,000 in fines and fees assessed for the November 2012 conviction of the trespassers were paid for by the crowd. Note that the people arrested in this protest ranged in age from 61 to 93. So if you know anybody languishing in a retirement home, let's go and recruit them to the cause. Speaking of protesters and getting arrested, here's this week's interview. Dr. Catherine Euler has presented to the UN Subcommittee on Human Rights in Geneva regarding depleted uranium weapons, was a primary organizer of the first international conference on depleted uranium weapons, and has been involved in peace and justice issues for decades, with focus on depleted uranium issues in the southeast portion of the United States. She taught women's studies at the University of Arizona until 2012, when she decided to dedicate her time and energy to anti-nuclear issues. Last August 8th, the 67th anniversary of the atom bomb blast at Hiroshima, 
She was arrested along with five other protesters while blockading entry to the Los Alamos Nuclear Laboratory in New Mexico. As one of the LANL-6 and an articulate spokeswoman for our cause, she had a lot to say not only about the action and the arrest, but the nature of depleted uranium and the threat that it poses to all of us. Dr. Euler, welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you so much, Libby. I really appreciate the invitation to, to the interview with you. Give us a little bit of your background as regards your involvement with the nuclear issue. In the 1990s, I was active in the United Kingdom uh, on depleted uranium issues primarily uh, and looking at low-level radiation as a form of violence against women and children. Even though it affects everyone, it affects women and children to a much stronger degree uh, than adult males. And how did that bring you into contact with the Los Alamos Nuclear Laboratory? After I came back to the United States, I uh, was working uh, in my field, which is uh, European history. And after Fukushima, when I went over to New Mexico, I got the chance this last summer to get in touch with um, Nuke Free Now, which is an amazing organization based in Santa Fe that's trying to bring together all of the local groups that are uh, active in the anti-nuclear movement uh, in New Mexico to try to fight against the lab. And they were having a really great conference last summer in Santa Fe with some fantastic speakers. So we went to that, and then we found out that there was going to be the Unoccupy Albuquerque uh, Affinity Group was planning to do civil disobedience at the Los Alamos lab. And I had done civil disobedience in England uh, in the past at Greenham Common at the Menwith Hill National Security Agency base and I had also done um, civil disobedience at Faz Lane against the nuclear weapons that the submarines have at Faz Lane. So I, I was familiar with civil disobedience, and I wanted to join in this group because for the last two years since Fukushima, I have just been racking my brain about what to do because there is such a nuclear blackout. And, and it seemed to me that, that I had a moral duty to try to block the lab, the traffic going into the lab on the morning of Hiroshima Day in order to try to raise awareness in some way of these terrible issues uh, that are confronting us worldwide right now and on which the nuclear industry has such a blackout. Give the listeners some sense of what has gone on at Los Alamos Nuclear Laboratory or LANL as it's sometimes referred to. Well, the lab was responsible for designing the very first nuclear weapons which were used against the people of Hiroshima and Nagasaki at the end of World War II. And since that time, they have been designing weapons along with Lawrence Livermore Laboratory in Northern California, near San Francisco. They've been designing nuclear weapons, which they will never be able to use. So hundreds of billions of our tax dollars for the last 67 years have been thrown down the nuclear toilet on these weapons that nobody can ever use and are poisoning the, the lands and the rivers and the airways near these nuclear labs across the country. What are the main concerns about Los Alamos now, both for you and for the people in the area? The Centers for Disease Control did a, an archival search. They were allowed some access, not full access, but some access to Los Alamos archives. And they found that the amount of plutonium that had been released into the environment by the Los Alamos lab was greater than all of the plutonium releases at all of the other nuclear weapons complexes combined. There are atrocious chemical pollutants as well as a lot of other radionuclides besides plutonium 
that they have been pouring into the canyons above the Rio Grande aquifer for 67 or more years since the 1940s. And these radionuclides, we now have plutonium suspended in the mud along the Rio Grande River. And there are lots of people concerned about the low-level radiation issues, how they're going to affect the indigenous peoples downstream, like San Ildefonso Pueblo and Santo Domingo Pueblo. And we don't have full epidemiological studies on the effects of the indigenous peoples downstream. Just colloquially within the community, is there talk of cancer rates or birth defects or other difficulties like that that have shown up? Yes, there are lots of concerns, I think, in the community in New Mexico uh, about what's happening at the lab. The Nuke Watch is particularly concerned about the new generation of nuclear weapons and the proposed plutonium pit production facility at Los Alamos. There are also concerns uh, about the waste isolation pilot plant in New Mexico and storing nuclear waste there. There are several groups working in the area that are concerned about not only about low-level radiation but about the weapons production uh, that, that goes on and about the indigenous land rights issues. What led you and the others to protest on Hiroshima Day, and how did you decide that this was the action that you were going to take? We had all, I think, searched our hearts and minds before this action, and we felt that it was our moral duty to draw attention to the crimes that are taking place at Los Alamos. You did speak mm-hmm. to me earlier about the fact that the word nuclear seems to have disappeared from <laughs> our discussion of the various places where nuclear atrocities are being committed. So let's agree for the sake of the interview, and I'm taking this cue from you, that we're going to call this Los Alamos Nuclear Laboratory and continue to have that word visible. I would like that because the deception involved in calling it Los Alamos National Lab is just more nuclear deception. And so the more we can reveal what they're actually doing in these places, the better. It's like calling the San Onofre nuclear plant song, San Onofre nuclear generating station. It's like we protest songs. It sounds like we don't like music. <laughs> it's a subliminal, but it's important. It is. What was the form this protest took? And what did it look like when you finally went? How many were there? And what did you actually do? The six of us were committed to nonviolent civil disobedience, and we blockaded the road going into the lab during the busy rush hour, or we tried to blockade the road going into the lab. There were six of us who were willing to go to prison uh, and take this action that morning. There were also uh, Los Alamos City Police in attendance and Bechtel Corporation that is now has the contract for managing Los Alamos as, as well as Lawrence Livermore. They have a private security firm called SOC, and so they brought out about, I think it was over 100 SOC officers in the street, and frankly, they did a much better job of blockading that intersection than the six of us. (laughs) (laughs) There there were only six of you for this level of response? Yes, well, they had had some word that the Occupy movement was going to be involved in the civil disobedience this year. For years and years, the peace movement in New Mexico has done a vigil outside of the Los Alamos gates on Hiroshima Day. Uh, Since, I think, 1969, it's been an annual event. And each year, they have this vigil, and some people are willing to get arrested, and some people aren't. So there were six of us this year. There were at least 100 people there at that vigil that day, community supporters, people who have made commitments to fight against nuclear weapons in their state. People came from all over New Mexico to join that vigil and to support the nonviolent civil disobedience that day. 
one of the things that was disturbing about this to me was, well, we were arrested by the Los Alamos uh, Municipal Police. They took us over to Bechtel's private security guards, uh, some of us, to be handcuffed by these unaccountable officers. And it seemed very dangerous to me. I asked the name of the officer who was struggling with my handcuffs, what is your name? What is your badge number? And he was silent. There was no account, no democratic accountability for that private security firm whatsoever. That's not a major issue, I don't think. But it's it's important, I think, in terms of the overall movement in the nuclear world, they're into fascism. <laughs> to what extent were the media present when all of this was taking place? There were some television cameras. There were some uh, reporters from local Los Alamos media and some of the independent media in New Mexico. Uh, and I think there were certainly some reports in the Albuquerque Journal that, and in the Santa Fe New Mexican that uh, some people had been arrested at Los Alamos. But both then and later on at the trial, the media was not very good at reporting on the actual issues about radiation. Some of the other defendants had issues uh, asking that the lab be transformed into doing work on global warming to try to solve global warming. Uh, other other protesters that were there had their major issue was about the indigenous land rights down downstream from the lab and the and the toxins that are going into the water in both Santa Fe and Albuquerque now have alpha emitters in their water supplies. Wow, these issues are always so much bigger than just what appears on the surface and what the media can get in, even when we do get the minor media attention that we get. But let's go back to this. Obviously, you were arrested. Did you spend any time in jail at that time? Yes. The six of us were held at the Los Alamos police station for, I think, about three hours before we were released. And at that time, were you charged? Yes. We were charged with uh, obstruction of the highway, failure to obey an officer, and uh, trespass on Lanel property. How long between that and the trial that took place? Uh, the arrest was in August of 2012, and the trial was just this January 8th, uh, 2013. How did that go? It was great. We had a great trial, really, overall. The police were very civil and polite about their job, frankly. And we got a chance to talk about the issues that were most important to us. It's not a court of record, so there's no recording of that testimony, and there were no cameras allowed into the court. But I can assure you it was extremely moving testimony. The gallery was full. We had at least 70 people from the from the anti-nuclear communities there supporting us and uh, having banners and signs outside on the main road in Los Alamos, which is called Trinity Drive. Oh, after the first blast, of course. Yeah. There were only 50 people who could fit into the courtroom at any one time, but we each of us got a chance to really speak uh, from our hearts uh, about why we were there that day. Now, you were given the opportunity to pay fines and go your merry way. Why did you and the other five on trial refuse to pay these fines? We all agreed as an affinity group, to, we had a consensus uh, that we wanted to refuse to pay the fines because we had not committed any crime. The, the, the lab's hazards and crimes, the, the environmental hazards that they continue to release there, the crimes that they've committed in the past, that these were the things that should be drawing the attention of the authorities, that in fact we were trying to warn the public of these things and that we had not committed a crime, so why should we pay the fine? So all of us were willing to and are continue to be willing to spend time in jail to resist this, this nuclear holocaust that we seem to be living in for the last 67 years. 
I'm really in admiration of you and the others for being willing to take what's the ultimate step, which is being willing to go to jail for your beliefs. I think that's the biggest fear people have when they show up for protests, and it's the one that you've obviously faced down. When will you find out whether push comes to shove, you're going to be put in jail? We should find out this coming week. We're hoping the judge will rule on, on, on what's going to happen uh, this week. What's the maximum you can get? The maximum would be six months on each charge. Since we were just fined, we're, we would actually do a minimum wage for to the amount of the fine, and it would be around six or seven days in jail. And this is the thing, I, you know, really... Being in jail is not that uh, scary, <laughs> and especially for six or seven days if we refuse refusal to pay the fine. And this could have gone several different ways, but this is where it is now. And uh, you know, I would encourage people to consider civil disobedience and for the peace movement as a whole to look at nonviolent civil disobedience in a, in a supportive way because this is going to be one of our ways forward. As a historian... When you look back over the last 68 years of the nuclear age, what do you think are some of the most important things for activists and those we hope to convince to join us in activism to know about the biggest lies that were told or some of the worst consequences of the nuclear industry? Well, I think since 1945, the nuclear industry has been undermining our democracy. It's been undermining our economy. It's been under, undermining our scientific talent. And they continue to tell lies ever since Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They have told a number of lies. For example, they um, say that low-level radiation is not dangerous. And we know from lots of scientific evidence that's been recently published, which confirms the older evidence published by Professor Goffman, Professor Sternglass, Professor Stewart, many of the early uh, evidence showed that low-level radiation being received in a slow rate is contrary to nuclear lies, it's actually can be more dangerous than acute doses such as those received by the survivors of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. In terms of the history of the nuclear age, uh, I was privileged to interview Carl Grossman, the veteran journalist who's been covering this issue for more than 40 years. And um, I would encourage anyone who hasn't listened to that one to really listen. We went like double time because what he was saying was so fascinating and that the nuclear manipulation of media began before Trinity. It's very difficult to break through that, as we saw from Fukushima when the news suddenly dried up. As soon as TEPCO admitted that the reactors had left the building, um, <laughs> they suddenly shut down the news stories about Fukushima. So, And TEPCO still doesn't know exactly where those Koreans are to this day. Where do you see the issues going? Where do you see your work going as relates to the Southwest these days? Well, we have revitalized the Mama Bears Collective, which was involved in the blockade at the Adlo Canyon. Uh, it's composed of women who are committed to these issues and committed to life on earth and committed to indigenous uh, leadership for the movement. And I think that civil disobedience has got to be our way forward because for many, many years now, we've had scientific evidence that the nuclear industry is killing us and they're also, also getting us to pay for it. So hundreds of billions of our hard-earned money has gone into the nuclear toilet, into these power plants, into the weapons systems. And the fact that people are paying to poison themselves has to be out there in public. We need to have mass public education. 
we need to perhaps organize some kind of an occupation near Los Alamos for uh, 2015, when it will be the 70th anniversary of, of Hiroshima. We need to, to blow the cover on these nuclear lies in every way that we can. And I would encourage people to just learn as much as they can and not be intimidated by the technical language that they use and to talk to their neighbors and to not feel crazy because the nuclear industry has accused people of over-exaggerating these fears, uh, over-exaggerating these concerns. And we have mass epidemiological evidence published in the last couple of years uh, from Germany, from France, that shows childhood leukemias near every single nuclear plant. We know from the evidence of the nuclear fallout in uh, the atmospheric testing fallout uh, that there have been not only cancers, uh, around the globe as a result of that fallout, but that all low-level radiation releases, even at a chronic slow rate, can produce genetic diseases, can produce heart disease. The work of Mandashevsky after Chernobyl has been critical to our understanding of cesium and heart disease. And I think people need to just commit themselves to understanding these issues and not just glaze over when they hear alpha, beta, and gamma. These are critical issues for our survival and for our children's survival and for our grandchildren's for survival and, and the, the, the human genome as well as the non-human genome because every atom that is disintegrating can rip apart the DNA in our cells. And people need to be aware of this, that their lies about no immediate danger or low-level radiation is safe for you are simply that. They are lies. These people are ignoring the science there is firm science. If you look at the European Committee on, on Radiation Risk, they have a tremendously informative report online. It's free. The European Committee on Radiation Risk and the low-level radiation campaign professor uh, Chris Busby has done enormous service to humanity in helping produce that European Committee on, uh, on Radiation Risk report. The evidence is irrefutable. And what's, what's amazing to those of us who are trying to to fight this situation is that the Manhattan Project scientists were so proud of their science and now the nucleocrats don't seem to care about facts, they don't seem to care about data and Professor John Goffman who had reviewed all of the epidemiological evidence available to date uh, when he was publishing his work, he was also I think shocked and appalled by the ability of the nuclear industry to ignore data, ignore science, ignore the truth and keep lying so that they could keep on making their billions and so they could keep on pretending that somehow a nuclear war was fightable and winnable and not that it would poison the entire planet with low-level radiation. So there are many motivations for continuing this lie. I think one of the motivations is that they could be charged with war crimes or crimes against humanity. From the very beginning of the nuclear age, I think everyone who has been involved in knowingly releasing radioactive materials above background into our environment should be seriously charged with uh, crimes against humanity because the more that these releases occur, which every nuclear power plant releases nuclear uh, low-level radiation, the more these occur, the more they're cumulative in our environment, the more they're going to impact people's immune systems, the more they're going to produce the possibility of, of miscarriages and stillbirths. 
uh, as Ernest Sternglass found in his research. So the scientists who were working early on against uh, low-level radiation and who were dismissed and discounted by the nuclear industry, which has you know, millions of dollars for their propaganda, and the Department of Energy epidemiological studies, which are useless, basically, because it's like the fox uh, guarding the hen house, right? There's, there's, nobody has any confidence in DOE epidemiology. Nobody. So these findings of low level radiation the harm caused by low level radiation have been confirmed and reconfirmed in huge studies uh, the german uh, kikk study and the french geocap study just in the last couple of years involve hundreds of thousands of children near nuclear power plants and the rates of leukemia increase the rates of childhood leukemia increase the closer you get to the power plant there's no doubt in anyone's mind uh, we have evidence from the fallout on Rongelap that these radionuclides can cause horrific deformations uh, and, and what the women in the Pacific. And Zolda Ishtar has a wonderful book called Women in the Pacific Speak Out, where the women are talking about the jellyfish babies, the births that they have had where they can't recognize it as a human being. Radiation is so atrocious that almost people almost need a, 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 a spiritual help. You know, they almost need some kind of a block so they can guard themselves before they really start understanding the issues of low-level radiation. Because I think people get traumatized when they really understand the truth of what we're talking about. Uh, and so then they shut down because they get traumatized. And, and I think that the, to, to introduce the, the information slowly is important. And I also think that people need some kind of a warning so they can shield themselves. Because when you get the idea that the releases that have already occurred are already impacting the human genetic code and the non-human genetic code, uh, you know, you begin to be seriously... It's overwhelming. And I know that one of the questions I ask activists frequently on this podcast is... When you find yourself overwhelmed, and I don't think there's any of us who doesn't know what that feeling feels like, but when you find yourself overwhelmed by what it is that we're facing, what do you do to keep yourself going? So I ask that of you. How do you keep yourself going? I try to do a lot of self-care along the way because I think when I was more active in the 90s, uh, you know, you I just did nothing but that and I didn't take care of myself properly. So I think it's important for activists to make sure that they take care of themselves. But also one of the really interesting things that Professor Rosalie Bertel said to me when I was privileged enough to drive her on her last book tour around England, we were sitting in the sunlight, it was a beautiful day, and I said... It's terrible. I understand that now cancer rates are like one in three people are going to get cancer. And she said, well, actually, they lie about those statistics. It's more like one in two people now. And, you, and, and I said, how do you cope with it? And she said, well, you kind of have to walk through this veil of death and come out the other side. And then you kind of know it's not really about you. It's about other living things on the planet. And, and then that empowers you, I think, to keep moving and keep trying to break through into the public consciousness about the extreme situation we are in, especially since Fukushima. What can listeners of Nuclear Hot Seat to support you and the others who are working most directly against the Los Alamos Nuclear Laboratory? Well, I would recommend that they support the organizations that are already working there, like the Concerned Citizens for Nuclear Safety, for example, ccns.org, 
look at nukefreenow.org and understand that last summer there were people on hunger strike from July 16th, the date of the Trinity explosion, all the way through to Nagasaki Day. There were people on hunger strike. And I think it's important for people to understand that anything they can do to break through this nuclear silence, the shutdown in the mass media that Carl Grossman uh, explained about, we all have a moral duty to the future and to ourselves and to life forms, and we all need to do what we can to do public education about these issues, to inform ourselves. I saw, I saw a poster the other day that said, in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. And, of course, it's easier to be in denial and ignore the nuclear issue than to face it. But at the same time, you've got your choice. You face it now or inadvertently you will face it later because none of us is immune, can't run, can't hide, can't get away from it. So kudos to you and those other five who are part of the Los Alamos Nuclear Laboratory 6 and your civil disobedience and all the other good work that you are doing on behalf of all of us in the future of life on Earth. Thank you, Levy. And thank you for being on Nuclear Hot Seat. As of podcast recording time, we do not yet know the sentencing for the Lanol 6, but we'll bring you that news in next week's podcast. Meanwhile, links to Dr. Euler, the groups, and the reports she mentioned will be on our website, nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog. A reminder that donations help keep Nuclear Hot Seat going strong with news and interviews that help us build our community. So if you value this podcast, any donation will help keep it going and defraying costs. Go to NuclearHotSeat.com and scroll down on the homepage to find our Donate button. And thanks for whatever you can do. A reminder that Dr. Helen Caldicott is producing a landmark global symposium on the medical and ecological consequences of Fukushima. This will take place March 11 and 12 in New York. You can access all the information on her new site, HelenCaldicottFoundation.org. Come to learn from scientists, researchers, medical doctors, and genuine experts with verifiable data about the cutting edge of what's happening as a result of the worst nuclear disaster the world has ever seen that's not even over yet. Again, HelenCaldicottFoundation.org. You'll see the lineup of speakers and all the latest information. Here's the final thought. I am going to be going to New York for Dr. Caldicott's symposium, thanks to the generosity of a nuclear hot seat donor who is flying me out. While I'm there, let's plan to make the most of that time. I think it would be great fun to meet some of the dedicated activists behind the Facebook posts on the various nuclear hot seat pages, as well as the others like the Coalition Against Nukes. Maybe we can set up a meet and greet with participants, as well as any listeners located in New York. Most importantly, I want to connect with other members of the anti-nuclear media to see what we can do to strengthen ourselves as a credible news source for the mainstream media. There are some amazing writers, researchers, podcasters, and YouTube uploaders working on these issues and helping to get the word out. Let's figure out ways to coordinate our efforts, support each other, link to each other. We're stronger together than apart. So what would a nuclear news network look like? How might it serve our needs as a movement without overburdening us as individuals? What can we do to kick mainstream media in the shins, or somewhat higher, to get and retain their attention? All ideas are welcomed, 
and I look forward to meeting as many of you as possible. We're going to go out on music today, one of mine. In a past life of mine that was lived in this body, I wrote for musicals that were intended to be performed on Broadway. Came close, got option, it never came together. This week, you'll be hearing Critical Mass from Armageddon, The Living End. That will be coming up in just a moment, so stay tuned. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, February 5th, 2013. Material from this podcast was gathered from enenews.com, Fukushima Diary, written by Iori Mochizuki, Herald Tribune, NewJerseyNewsroom.com, The Telegraph, GG Press, XSKFBlogspot.com, LATimes.com, ChristianScienceMonitor.com, Informable.com, Augusta Free Press, CommonDreams.com, The Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Protecting People and the Environment, not World Nuclear News, and the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook Network, with a special shout-out to Carly Ann. You can find all our podcasts posted on NuclearHotSeat.com. It's still easiest just to click on the blog tab. We can also be found if you friend me or click like on the Nuclear Hot Seat's two Facebook pages. Or you can get the entire library on iTunes podcasts. Share us, link to us, help get the word out. This podcast is the activist voice on nuclear issues, so use us as the resource we are. And if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. Stay tuned for Critical Mass from Armageddon, a positive look at the end of the world. Music written by Grady and performed by him as the devil, and the lyric is by me. And who am I? Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that we've all had our nuclear wake-up call now. Do not Go back to sleep. Children yearning to be free. Have no fear, just follow me. Cause if the world's about to blow, ain't no place left for you to go. It's a critical mess. Critical mess. And the critical mess. Critical. Clap your hands to the critical mass. All accommodations gonna be first class. Boogie down to the critical mass. You've got my word, it's gonna be a gas. Harmonics of demonic strike a chord to blow your mind. It's Satan orchestrating to deliver mankind. No praying now. No staying now. There's no desire. Now don't back away, cause I'm on the level Is it God you want or are you looking for the devil? Join the procession since time began Boogie with your boogeyman No hops, no wings, no quiet saints No loves, no hates, no pearly gates Man, it's nothing and I do mean nothing No praying now No staying now There's no Yeah.